Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we've just uh, sung those words, where else have we to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. <clears throat> Lord, this morning uh, we are in your word, that very word that does bring life to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we uh, think about the, uh, the subject this morning from this passage, the subject of tithing, Lord, help us to see how that in itself, through the practice of bringing an offering to you of all that you have blessed us with, might point us to how we can experience true life in your name. Help us to know, Lord, this morning your blessing upon us as we open up your word together. Help us to know, Lord, this morning the words that you might have to say to us, both individually and also together as your church here in this place. And may all of our thoughts, may all of the motivations of our hearts, Lord, be pleasing to you. May they bring you glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue this morning in this whole series in Deuteronomy on Choose Life. And uh, this morning we can uh, the third part in our mini kind of look at this little mini series within this series on this whole aspect of growing in holiness. And as we've seen through uh, chapter thirteen and chapter fourteen of Deuteronomy, as we've spoke about growing in holiness, we've seen that God indeed wants to be Lord over every single part of our lives that in fact God is interested in every single part of our lives and that he doesn't want us to think that we can, you know, sort of put our lives in different kind of boxes, you know, our work box over here and our home and life box here and our, our recreation box over here and then our church box here and think that, you know, we can just compartmentalise our lives like that and think that, you know, there are some parts of our lives where, you know, God has a, has a part to play in that and he's Lord over, but there are other parts which, which God isn't, you know, we, we, we want to keep from God or we just want to set our own kind of direction in. This morning we're going to be speaking on this whole aspect of, of money. And, uh, and when it comes to money, believe me, there, uh, you know, when the, the preacher gets up to speak about money, we all sort of start to cringe a little bit in our seats. Because we think, oh, what on earth is he going to say today? I mean, you know, is he going to sort of start to lay the guilt trip on me about, uh, you know, how much, you know, I give to God and things like that? Is he wanting more money out of me? Well, can I say this morning, it's not up to me to say, you know, I want this money out of you and that sort of stuff. That's not my place. It's not up for me to convince you at all as to whether or not you should be giving to God and to the church or whatever. That's up to God to convict. I have no right whatsoever to tell you today that you should be giving to God. I have no right today to be saying to you that, you know, there are things in your life which you should bring under, you know, under God's control. 
In fact, when I get up here and preach every Sunday morning, it's not me as a person who's actually up here trying to convince you that the best way to live is God's way. It's God's job to do that. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you in your hearts about what God is saying to you. So please don't think that as I stand up here on a, on a Sunday morning before you, as a preacher and as a pastor of this church, that, oh, I've got to do this because Duncan says so. God help us if that's the case. <laughs> but folks, when I get up here and I preach on a Sunday morning, I pro- try with God's help to proclaim what God is saying to us through his word. And it is God, hopefully, whom you will hear this morning through the words that I say regarding this particular matter. In fact, particularly in regards to all matters that I get up here and preach about on a Sunday morning. As I said, my intention this morning is not to lay any kind of guilt trip on you or to, uh, you know, to sort of talk to you about, uh, you know, whether or not you should be giving or not. I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do that today. The same as I trust the Holy Spirit week in and week out to, to, uh, to speak to people's hearts in this church. As we come to this particular passage today, I want to just first of all point out that, that first of all, God is very, very interested in every single aspect of your life and particularly he is, he is very much has much to say or he does have much to say about what we do with our money. How we treat our money, the money that God blesses, with, blesses us with in our lives. I think it's probably about probably only about the second or the third time in about the last ten and a half years that I've ever spoken on this topic in this church. But money is not an unimportant manner in the Bible. Jesus spoke very much about money and possessions and wealth and things like that. In fact, around half of the parables are concerned with how to handle our money and our possessions. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that again speak about how we are to handle our money and our possessions. Those verses, more verses combined than, 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 than God ever speaks about heaven and hell in the Bible. Did you know that? God has much more to say about this subject than he does about heaven and hell. Therefore, God has very much to say about how we approach this particular matter in our lives. And here in Deuteronomy 14, we're going to see, hopefully, that God sees, you know, God says to us through this spiritual practice of, of bringing an offering, a tithe, if you like, to Him, that uh, there is much for us to learn in how God can bless us in our lives through this particular aspect of our worship. We're going to look at it in terms of four different headings this morning. You've got your notes there and your newsletters, which I've given you, and you can also follow along on the screen behind me. The first is this. As we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see that tithing was a sign of obedience to God. We see that in verses 22 and 23 this morning. God says, you shall or you must, if you like, tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and the flock so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. 
This passage begins by saying you shall or you must tithe. Now that word tithe actually speaks about 10%. All right, That's what it means. It means a tenth. And the people were to bring a tenth of all of their grain, of all of their wine, of all of their oil, of all of the firstborn of their livestock every year to the sanctuary, the place where God chose to make his name dwell there. It was this symbolic place where God would meet with his people and where God would say, here I am and this is our community, this is our communal place where you and I meet together, where we interact in this relationship together. God says, you are to bring it all in. And there you are to eat of this tithe. That there was to be this wonderful banquet of the people as they brought all of this, all of this, you know, this, uh, this um, material stuff to this, to the sanctuary. The people would come and they would have this wonderful banquet, this celebration, rejoicing and celebrating over the fact of what God had blessed them with through their fields and through their herds and through their livestock and things like that. I find it interesting that God says that when you bring your tithes and your, of your grain and, and your wine and your oil and the first one of your herd and the flock, that you will in, in, then eat of it. Did you find that interesting? I wonder why God says that. Could it be the fact that, you know what, God actually doesn't need their, 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 their tithe? Because the food wasn't for God, was it? The wine wasn't for God. The oil wasn't for God. Then why bring it? Because God says, you'll bring it and you'll eat it because you know what? I don't really need it. In fact, you know, everything in this whole world, everything in all creation, I own anyway. But I think the reason why God wanted the people to bring it was because they, you know, for them to recognize that they were to fear God. And we see that in our passage this morning. You are to bring it along so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. That the people would fear God. Remember that these people are going into a land, this land of Canaan, right? Where it was a land full of pagan gods and religious practices. And central to the, to the Canaanite worship in that place, in that land, was this whole emphasis on fertility, on bounty, on, on abundance and things like that. Fertility of the land, of the livestock and of the people. And these people would practice these religious, these religious rituals so that they could sort of, you know, they, they, because they relied on these gods, they relied on their gods to bless them with their, with, with abundance. And so they would come together and they would practice all these different kind of rituals and things like that in order to coerce their gods, you know, to, in order to sort of gain their gods' favour so that they might have abundance of wealth and of provision. They thought that if they did the right thing, then they would you know, earn their gods' favour and their gods would bless them. God was saying, you are not to be like the other people. You are not to be like these, these foreign nations. Because I am so much different to their gods. I am a personal God, a relational God, a God who loves you, a God whom you are my treasured possession. And you don't need to convince me or coerce me to bless you. 
I want to bless you because I love you. And by bringing their tithes and their, their offerings, their, their, these, these tithes of, of their, their wine and their oil and their grain and so forth, and the people were participating in that, they were, it was just a, a wonderful reminder of the people that all that they had was from God. That he was the one who had blessed them. That God was the one who, through providing the soil, providing the sun, providing the rain, and actually providing the whole process by which the plants would grow and produce their grain, God was the one who was, who was the one who was behind it in all of its provision. Because without God, there would be no harvest. And as the people brought these things to the Lord to the sanctuary, either in its natural form or in the form of money, because, you know, for some people, the sanctuary was quite a long distance away from where they lived. And it was, you know, almost impossible to cart that amount of stuff to the, to the, uh, to the sanctuary. So God said, fine, you know, convert it to money, bring the money along and then buy of the provisions that are there already. And you enjoy it. But through this, they were publicly acknowledging that all they had was purely down to the gracious provision of God. But not only that, they were also recognising that they were completely dependent upon God. And here's where we see that this is God's gracious provision. The tithing was a sign of obedience to God, but it was a sign of God's gracious provision. Folks, as we live our lives every day, all that we have, all that we have, it's from God. Every single thing that you, that you, that you own, that you enjoy, that you, that, that you call a part of your world today, that is yours because God, in his grace and in his mercy and in his compassion and in his goodness, has blessed you with it, has blessed me with it. And so as we, you know, as we, as we thank God for these things, we acknowledge his goodness to us, but we also need to acknowledge that his, his dependence upon us. And that was what the people here were also needing to recognize that as they brought this stuff in, as they brought this, this, this tithe to the sanctuary, as they fellowshiped and as they rejoiced and as they ate of all this food, they recognized not only God's gracious provision, but also their dependence upon God for all that they needed in their lives. So we see the tithe was a sign of obedience and it was a sign of a recognition of God's provision. God, as he, as the people come and they ate there at that sanctuary, the place that God said that I'll make my name dwell, that place that I choose, the people would come and it was kind of like God was the divine host at that banquet. You know, sometimes you'll invite people over to your houses and you'll prepare a, a meal for them and you'll sit down at your table or wherever or out there in your, you know, your outdoor area around your barbecues or things like that. You, as you, as you welcome your, your guests in, you are, the, you are playing that role of host, aren't you? Providing that food for people to enjoy and the fellowship that you enjoy together is wonderful and it's a great time. Here is this, we see this wonderful picture of God saying, bring the food in and here I am the divine host because I've provided this for you anyway. Come to my table and eat. 
and he'd rejoice and enjoy. Now, I don't know about you, but does that sound like a kind of a, a God who is really mean and vindictive and nasty and that kind of thing? Does that, is that, does that the, paint the, that kind of picture of God to you? No. It paints a picture of God who is wanting to bless and bring in and encourage and, 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 and help people to experience what life is all about. Isn't that the kind of picture we see here in this passage? Because that's the kind of God who God is. The people then had, because of this wonderful stuff that God had provided, they had reason to celebrate. And we ourselves have got a reason to celebrate. If we, if we are in this wonderful relationship with God, we have a reason to celebrate of knowing that God is our God, that we are his children, and that he wants what's best for us in our lives. Now, clarifying point. We often have great ideas about what we think is what's best for us in our lives, don't we? We do, don't we? But that doesn't necessarily correlate with what God thinks is what's best for us in our lives. But whose wisdom is greater, ours or God's? So then he's the one we should trust, shouldn't he? Shouldn't we? If he thinks, if he knows what's best for us in our lives, God's the one we should trust. He knows what's best for us. So tithing is a sign of obedience. It's a sign of God's gracious provision, but it's also a sign of showing concern for others. Look at this passage as we keep going on in verses 27 to two, uh, the beginning of verse 29, where it says, And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. And at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, that is the alien, the person from, a, you know, from another, another uh, country who comes and dwells in your land, the fatherless, the widow, those people, those people who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that you do. The Levites, these were the people of, of, of Israel who were of the tribe of Levi. Remember Israel was made up of, of 12 tribes? Well, God has specifically chosen these, these people of the tribe of Levi to serve him in his sanctuary. They were to be, to be the priests, they were to be the ones who looked after all the temple and the, and the, the, the tabernacle and the tabernacle furnishings and things like that and later the temple. But when the Israelites came into the land, God had apportioned parts of the land to each of the individual tribes, both on the eastern side of the Jordan and on the, uh, on the western side of the Jordan River. But the Levites didn't get a portion of land. Instead, they were set apart to serve God. And so God said, because I haven't given you any inheritance, the rest of your brethren, the rest of your kinfolk are going to look after you. They were to receive their provision from the tithe that the people of God brought to either the sanctuary or to this, or the, to the towns at the end of every three or six years. And 
And God had actually said to, uh, to these Levites that they themselves had to present a tithe of the tithe to God. So they themselves had to also recognize God's provision and their dependence upon God by themselves giving a tithe of what they've got. It's interesting that uh, it speaks at the end of every three years. What we need to understand here is that the Hebrew, that the Israelite people observed what was called a, a, a specific cycle called the sabbatical cycle. And it was a seven year cycle. And in the third and the sixth years of that cycle, the people were to bring their tithe not to the sanctuary, but to this accessible place in their local communities where it would be shared. It would be shared with the Levites, with the sojourners, with the fatherless and with the widows. By commanding this, God reminded his people that there were others in the land who were not as well off as them. And that they themselves, the, the, the people of Israel, had an, uh, the people of God, had a responsibility to care for these people, to provide for them, just as God had provided for everyone, for all of the people. See, not only were the people of God to be a holy people because God was holy, but they were also to be a generous people because God Himself is generous. They were to reflect God's character and God's nature. Just as we, as God's people today, are to reflect God's character and God's nature to the world around about us and to one another. So we see that through this tithe, that, that God was, it wasn't only blessing the people, but he was making sure that everyone was blessed that he would bless the people and that they themselves would be a source of blessing to those around about them. Can you see this principle? We see it time and time and time again through the Bible. And we're speaking about this last week to, uh, to the young people in the deep Bible study group on Sunday afternoon where we're saying that you know God blesses us. Okay, God pours out his blessing on us so that we might be conduits, if you like, or channels to be a blessing to those around about us. God's blessing just doesn't come down upon us and stop. It is meant to flow through us to people around about us. That is God's way. So God's got this tithe was a meant as a means of showing this concern for others, particularly the less fortunate. And finally, we read in this passage that faithfulness in tithing resulted in God's continued blessing. We see that right at the very end in the last bit of verse 29. It says that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Now, can I say that we need to be very, very careful here. We need to be careful here because this could sound a little bit like prosperity preaching. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Because because a person is faithful and generous in their tithing does not mean that God is obligated to bless them further. Just because we are faithful in our tithing and we might give a lot to God does not mean that God is obligated to bless us further. Do we hear that this morning? God is not obligated to us in any way, shape or form. 
However, there is a principle that's at play here in this passage in that it would seem that there is a level of blessing from God that comes as a result of faithfulness in giving, but that is entirely up to God himself. And that that blessing that God gives us may not necessarily be material blessing. Acts 20, verse 35, Jesus said, recounting Jesus' words, says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Just in the aspect of giving, there is blessing. Amen? We've all experienced that, haven't we? Well, I hope you've experienced it. So here, there, we see that there is no material blessing guaranteed in that, but there is certainly blessing guaranteed that it is more blessed to give than to receive. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God says to his people, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. In this passage, what we see is God is saying here, you know what, you can test me in this. If you think you can outgive me, then you think again. Because you can give as much as you like, but I will give more and more and more abundantly than you could ever begin to imagine. But that is not, that, that does not necessarily mean material blessings. It does not mean health and wealth and whatever else this world promises today. But there is this cycle, this principle that is, that is brought out here. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we see it played out again, where the Apostle Paul speaks about financial responsibilities of believers. And in these chapters, Paul stresses that there's this, this prior grace of God. He, he, in fact, Paul emphasizes this, this prior grace of God to his people. And then he points to the need of, of, of his people to be generous to those around about him. And then, to, and to do that as a matter of, of grateful obedience and thankfulness. And it's this catalyst then for a joy on the, on the, on the part of his people. A catalyst for joy. And there is this thanksgiving and then there is this continued blessing. And in it just uh, when this series in Deuteronomy finishes, we'll actually be starting a new series through Second Corinthians, and we'll look at that in a lot more detail. But this passage speaks about this cycle that there is grace which is experienced in the blessing of God. It is the grace of God poured out to us where we experience His blessing, and then there is a practical obedience on our part. Of, of recognizing our responsibility to the kingdom of God and to the work of God in our world today. And God says, as you practically obey in that, then I will bring continued blessing so that it brings back to this grace again. And it's this whole cycle. Can you see that? That God's grace, our obedience, God's blessing, God's grace, and it keeps going round and round and round.
So what should our attitude today be to tithing? Does God demand that I give 10% of my income to him? And if I don't, if I'm being disobedient, therefore can I expect God not to bless me? Because when it comes down, that's what we really want to get down to, isn't it? We want to get down to the nitty-gritty this morning. We want to know what it means for us when it comes to us and our money and how we treat it. So I said Jesus had much to say about money, but it's it's interesting, he had very little to say about tithing. In fact, the little that he did say about tithing was only to criticise its legalistic abuse. He criticised the Pharisees for tithing their herbs, but not for being more considerate considerate about the weightier matters of the law, namely justice, mercy and faithfulness. You see that in Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus says, don't neglect the tithe, but... Remember that there is something even far more important. Far more important than just the external kind of ritual. It is the heart. Justice, mercy, love, faithfulness. He criticised the Pharisee who praised himself for his religious observance but who looked down on the tax collector in Luke 18. He was this Pharisee who got up in the temple and he praised God. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile. I'm not like this, this sad person looking over here. He said, oh, you know, I give him my tithes and all that sort of stuff. And then there was this, 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 this tax collector who came before God and he got down on his knees and he beat his chest and he said, God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says there was only one person that day out of those two who walked away righteous and blessed in God's sight. You know who it was? It wasn't the religious person. It wasn't the religious person. It was the tax collector. Because it was about his heart. And what we need to understand today is that giving to God is more a heart issue than a how much issue. And we all need to hear this today, that that, that giving to God is more of a heart issue than a how much issue. In fact, can I say this morning that God wants you more than he wants your money. In fact, God doesn't need your money. If God wants to bless other people, he'll do it with you or without you. Is that a shock to some of you this morning? It's interesting, in speaking about this, John Piper says this. He says, To commend tithing as the ideal simply does not capture the New Testament view of discipleship. In fact, he goes on to say, He who has two coats, he's uh, quoting scripture here, He who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Luke 3.11. Folks, that's not 10%, that's 50%. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord Jesus after Jesus came to his house, he said, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. Luke 19, verse 8. Again, that's 50%, not 10%. Jesus said to the rich young man, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me in Matthew 19, 21. That's not 10%, that's not 50%, that's 100%. 
All who believed were together and had all things in common and they sold their possessions and goods and distributed to them all as any had need. Luke 2.44 There was not a needy person among them for as as many were as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. Acts 4.34 Have you ever thought about selling your house for God? Oh, Duncan, you're getting a bit serious there now, aren't you? In a severe test of affliction, we read in 2 Corinthians 8, the, uh, the, um, the Christians in Macedonia, out of, the, out of a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and out of their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of liberality on their part. For they gave according to their means and beyond their means. Here was a church under incredible suffering and persecution and affliction. They were a poor church. They had nothing, but yet they decided to give over and above their means in order to bless the believers back in Jerusalem. The best way that we know how to capture the the spirit of the New Testament generosity or this, this whole aspect of tithing is simply to say that the issue is not how much must I give, but how much do I dare keep. Not shall I tithe, but how much of the money that I hold in trust for Christ can I keep for my personal use. Folks, dare I say it, that the biggest issue or one of the biggest issues facing the church today in regards to this whole matter of tithing is not the fact about how much we give, but it's about how exorbitant a lifestyle that we often lead as Western Christians today. Now, it might be hard for some of us to hear. Believe me, it's hard for me to hear. The question that we should be asking ourselves is that it's not that I can I afford to tithe, but can I justify the lifestyle that consumes 90% of my income? Wow, that really brings it home, doesn't it? Can I justify the lifestyle that means I consume 90% of my income? And of course, behind that is the question, do I love to use God's money, remember it is God's money, to spread justice and mercy and spiritual hope in the world, or do I prefer to hoard his money to purchase more and more for my personal comfort? As I said before, personal giving is just that. It is personal between a person and God. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, each person should prayerfully in their own hearts come before God and determine what God would have them give. And that's what God says to each and every one of us this morning. That we all need to come before God in this matter. But in considering this, we need to remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6.21 where he says, when it comes to our money, he says, where a person's heart is, that's where their treasure is also. I just say as a church here at North Pine, our purpose statement says this, that we exist for the purpose of worshipping God and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ 
in order that. So there's a so that. For, for the purpose or for the meaning that people might come to know him personally, they might to come to follow him obediently, and they might to come to serve him faithfully. We want people to know God. We want people to grow in their love and their, their obedience to God, and we want people to be people who sow for the kingdom of God. And we do that because we want others to come and know and grow and sow and so forth. And that takes a great deal of commitment. It takes a great deal of sacrifice on our part, our time, our effort, our resources, and folks, yes, even our money. Right now, as a church, we are significantly behind in our budget. And when I say significantly, I mean significantly. Probably to the tune of about $40,000 at this stage this year. We're only in August. And if it's not arrested soon, we're going to find that this is going to have an impact, an incredible impact on how we do ministry for God here in this place. Folks, God has blessed us. For many years now, we have had money in surplus that has been used in order for the, you know, to, for, for, for ministry and for, and for thinking further down the track of the future of God's work here in this place. But I think because we've had that money there, I, I believe personally that we've probably got a little bit complacent. We've got a little bit comfortable with that. And so we might have slackened off a little bit. God has been blessing us. We've experienced incredible growth in this church. I mean, we've had to put more and more seats out in, in, in this auditorium on a Sunday to the point where it's getting to the point where we're just, we're just too big for this, for this building. And as an eldership, we've been working through what, what do we do next? And we've been humbly, humbly coming before God and, and asking him to lead us and guide us in that. And we're, we're exploring different avenues of whether or not we extend this building or whether or not we, we put a new building out here on this, this, land, this land next door to us. We're growing in our youth ministries. You know, it's, it's often that we've got you know, over 100 children here on a Friday night at our various youth ministries and they themselves are running out of room to hold those. We're, we're struggling to cater for the growth there. So we can see that God is blessing us. We can see that God is blessing people individually, how God is growing them and deepening them in their, in their faith and trust in him and their relationship with him. And believe me, the stories that I hear of people who, whom God is challenging in their lives, God is working and God is blessing. But at the same time, God is going to hold each and every one of us accountable for what we did with the resources he gave us. And we can choose, we can choose to invest those resources in seeing God's kingdom built up or instead we can choose to, uh, to go about you know, continuing to build our own little kingdoms and our own little, you know, our own little nest eggs and things like that. But can I say that as we choose to invest in the kingdom of God, in the in kingdom building, then God will use that for a much bigger and much greater and much more significant impact than we could ever kind of have with our own, with, you know, for, with using the money in our own ways. Don't you agree? 
You might have great, you know, you might have great visions for yourself and how you can plan your life out, but God has got a much greater, a much more wonderful, a much more blessed purpose for each and every one of us if we just be people who surrender our lives completely and totally and utterly to Him. Every aspect of our lives, including our money. And you know, you might only be able to give a small amount. You might only be able to give two small coins every week. Or you may be, you might have a greater capacity to give. But whatever you decide to give, do so prayerfully. Do so cheerfully and do so sacrificially, giving thanks to God that He's enabled you to, to have what you have. And to do so thinking about keeping in mind what God might be able to do with what you give him rather than what you can do with what you have. Because God will extend it much, much further than we ever could. I'm sure that he can bring about a greater harvest with it than we can. Amen? Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion now. I'm going to ask the communion stewards to, uh, to come up this morning.